So if you're like one of these people who's like, well, I feel guilty for being burned out and like, I don't really want that to be me and I've never failed at anything before. I'm just going to sort of like grin and bear it, suck it up and do another 30 years in this position yeah. that is like soul yeah. sucking, which sounds like a terrible proposition, right? Like that's not a yeah. great idea. Yeah. Like it's not just affecting you. Hey, hey, welcome to Scrubs and Squats, the podcast where we discuss health and health policy so that you're better prepared to make the decisions that will give you more power over your business, your career, and your life. I'm your host, Tiffany Ryder, and I have nothing to sell you and just ask that if you like what we're doing here, you review this episode and subscribe. Today, we've got an awesome show covering the topic of burnout with burnout expert Tracy Bingaman. And real quick, before we get started, I have to remind you that although I'm a licensed healthcare professional, my ramblings here are just opinions and information and should never be taken as personalized medical advice or as the official views of affiliated organizations. I believe with all of my heart that primary care providers are the real superheroes and you should check in with yours for any personalized guidance. All right, let's get to the good stuff. So my name is Tracy Bingaman. I am a surgery PA of nearly 12 years. I am a mom to not one, not two, but five kids who range in age from 20 to four. And I burned out big time as a part of my journey working in healthcare. And that has inspired me to coach other people in healthcare to figure out a way that healthcare works for them, not the other way around. Yeah. Wow, I could certainly see where having, you know, a, a large scope of family responsibilities and work responsibilities could definitely lead to a dynamic where there's some burnout. When you say burnout, what does that mean? Yeah, so burnout technically is this psychological syndrome that's defined by three things. One, emotional exhaustion. So if you're saying things like, I just can't keep going like this, like this isn't sustainable, how is everyone else keeping up this pace, this demand? That's emotional exhaustion. Two is depersonalization. Like you don't feel as connected to your work, to your patients as you once did. And three is a decreased sense of personal accomplishment. Like you feel like you're on this treadmill. You show up, you see patients, you chart, you go home, you chart some more, and then you show up again the next day to do it again. But you don't really feel like progress is being made. Nothing is changing. It's sort of like Groundhog's Day, you show up at work, same thing happens again the next day. So those that triad of symptoms is really the hallmark of burnout sort of from a clinical standpoint. For me, when I was burned out, I wasn't the person, the wife, the mother, the friend that I wanted to be. And it had become a situation where work was getting the best of me and my home life was like an afterthought. Like I would have told you my family was the most important thing during that season of my life. However, my schedule, the way that I was prioritizing my time and energy and how demanding work was, was not reflective of those values that I would say I valued my family. But when you actually looked at my calendar, I really was at work so much more than I was at home. So several years ago was really when I feel like I hit this pivotal turning point when it came to burnout. So mm -hmm. I started my career like wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, like I wanted to do surgery. I was going to, you know, take the world by storm. And I feel like I did that. And there were years that I worked and worked and 
finances were a priority and we had a couple less kids and then more kids and more kids and job changes. And I ended up in a position where my hours were actually really good to start. And I think this happens for a lot of people, like decent hours, good clinical acuity. And then slowly over time, I was staying later. I had more responsibilities. I had more hospitals to cover. I had my youngest kid at that job. And it was not my family that made me burned out. And I think a lot of people like see the number of humans that live at our house and think like, oh, like she's burned out because she's a working mom with so many kids. It was actually the fact that my home responsibilities were pretty much the same as they had always been, but my perspective shifted. So there was one day we were working. I worked towards the end of that when I was really burned out, 55 to 60 hours a week. And I was salaried and I didn't work weekends. So if you're doing the math at home, that was sometimes five 12-hour days or five 10-hour days plus an overnight call shift. I was working in the OR and then I would be on call overnight and then I would go back to work for another 12-hour day. So it had the potential to be 36 hours straight with only some interrupted sleep, which they don't let truck drivers do, right? They don't let other like yeah. other people yeah. who are operating heavy machinery wouldn't be able to do this on yeah. that little sleep. But we could, yeah. you know, be clamping arteries or making, you know, very serious medical decisions in a sleep deprived state, which studies have shown is like the same as having a high blood alcohol. Like we don't make good sure. choices then. So I don't think this was safe. It wasn't sustainable. And one morning I'd worked all day in the OR. I'd been up all night on call. Maybe I'd gotten two, maybe three hours of interrupted, not deep sleep because when you're on call, you don't sleep too well. In the morning, I was on the phone. I was triaging things. I had someone who needed transfer um, for Fournier's gangrene. I had a rule out testicular torsion. Like It was like a urological nightmare. And I'd love to say like this was totally the exception and just like a bad night. It was like this regularly. So um, I hadn't slept and my youngest daughter came toddling out into the living room in her little purple owl footy pajamas and she was all warm and she was like wiping the sleep out of her eyes. I had my laptop. I had my tiger text up. I was on the phone with the transfer center and she said, mama up. She wanted me to pick her up. And I said, honey, I can't pick you up right now. Mommy's working, right? It's 530 in the morning. Mommy's working still, right? For like a day straight, I've been working. And because she has four older brothers who sometimes teach her not super nice words, she says to me, you're stupid. Mm. And my heart imploded. And I was like, she's right. Like, I don't need to work this job. That means that I can't show up well for my kids. I don't need like there's no amount of money that you could continue to pay me to stay here. And so I had this big old meltdown, like emotionally, like crying, had to hang up the phone. One of my older boys says, Dad, I think that mom maybe needs a timeout. Like she's like overreacting <laughs> a little bit yeah. to this. And I was like, listen, no one had ever needed a timeout more than I needed a timeout in that mm-hmm. moment, like a 12 hour long timeout with a mm-hmm. very long nap. And my husband said, honey, you have to you have to resign today. You have to quit. We'd been talking about it. Wow. Like we knew things were getting bad. And I said, I don't have time to quit today. Sure. I was just like so busy. Like I was running so fast at work. I didn't have time to like address these things or, you know, try to improve things because I was too busy surviving. So I did end up one week later. I resigned from that position. 
And I started sleeping through the night after I had been like ill with insomnia and like all of these things that were going on with my immune system. I started sleeping through the night the day I gave my notice. Wow. I was not even out of there. I had just resigned and I stopped waking up in the middle of the night. I was able to sleep. Like my body was like, finally, finally, like she's going to give us some rest. It's a powerful story. And it's interesting that you came from a place where you weren't feeling burnout and you mm -hmm. felt like you were doing well and you were handling your family and your work and enjoying life and then found yourself, you know, in this complex situation. Do you think that that's how it happens for most people? Yeah. So in my experience working with clients and just sharing my story and having others share their stories of burnout with me, yeah. I think it is gradual and then all of a sudden you realize. So for okay. me, things had been getting worse and getting worse. And I'd been raising my hand in meetings and saying, I don't think this is sustainable or we can't do this or we need more human resources or we need help or what about this? And the answer was just no, no, no. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just keep on keeping on. Like I've never failed before. I've never quit a job without a plan before. Like I've always left for greener pastures and sort of knowing mm -hmm. what's coming. Um, so that was like a big thing I had to reconcile personally that I am not my job and that this is not who I am. It's simply what I do. But to really answer that question, I think it's like the frog in the boiling water. Like if they had offered me the job that I quit with the hours that I left, I never would have signed up for it. But that's sure. not the job they offered me, right? They offered me a job where I'd be rounding and out on time and our census wasn't crazy. And then we bought a hospital and then we bought another hospital and then we acquired more surgeons and then we had a second robot. And then so it was like slowly over time, the demands became more and more and more without help or adjustment. And also this is on me, right? So they said, you used to cover two hospitals. Now it's four. Now it's five. Now it's six. You know, you're triaging and transferring. You're doing all these things. And I said, okay, okay, okay. And I didn't say, no, yeah. that's unsafe. I'm not going to do it. And so I have a surgeon who sometimes used to say, sometimes you have to let it break before they're willing to help you fix it. And so my team rose to the occasion again and again and again. And because we did that and stayed late and took care of the patients and arranged the transfers, administration, when we raised our hand and said, this isn't working, they said, keep up the good work because they didn't think it was broken. I'm certainly not a burnout expert, but this is something that I spend a lot of time talking about with people just because it's such a, a pervasive problem that we have right now. And often when I'm talking to people, I really do hear that same story of, well, I've always been a hard worker. I've yeah. always been a winner, right? I'm always reaching for that next piece. When someone says, hey, can you? The answer is yes. And I wonder if that sets up, you know, these, these driven high achievers in the medical field. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect recipe for burnout. Yes. Yeah. The admissions process selects the people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for achievement. We've already proved it by getting the grades right. and the hours and getting accepted and getting the job. So like the people that couldn't hang already didn't make it. So the people that are in are they have self-selected to be problem solvers, to be achievers, to be willing to sacrifice their own health and sanity and wellness at the altar of a healthcare system. And if you are new and you like are, you know, ambitious and excited about this, 
I hate to be the one to tell you this, but the healthcare system, it does not love you back, right? It does not care. As a PA, I end up interacting with a lot of other PAs and PEs, um, PA students, right? And something that I hear frequently is, is that they really want to prove themselves, right? We want to prove ourselves. We want to say, you know, we don't want to be doctors. We're not trying to, to one-up this system, but we do want to prove the value that we bring. And I think that's probably another driver that I see sort of moving this along. Yeah. And my response to that is that you can prove your value without sacrificing yourself. So I think we need to get rid of this supposition that in order to prove yourself, you have to come early, stay late, have poor boundaries, sacrifice yourself. Like you can come in on time. You can do a great job while you're at work. You can leave and still add value and still be a proven valued member of the team. You do not have to burn out before you can find like that breakthrough and some sort of balance or some sort of integration in your life. Like my, I would love if students would realize like, okay, burnout is not the goal here. Like sustainability, a career that is sustainable, that works for me long-term is a much better goal. So I think in order to do that, we have to redefine what success looks like. We have to start to value ourselves, period. As people, not for what worth we add or our billing or our ability to do procedures or make as much for the practice as our physicians, like we are inherently worthy and valuable, not because of the letters behind our name or because of the specific things that we do, but because of who we are. And then from that position of confidence, we can prove how competent we are, not from a scarcity mindset, right? So we can do it from a mindset of like, there's room for everyone. Like there's no shortage of patients. There's no shortage of demand for providers. So why we're like, we have to be on this level. Like, let's just redefine what success looks like for us so that we're not chasing this unattainable thing. Because once you get the respect of your collaborating physician, now you have to get the next, the next. It's a moving target that you're never actually going to feel like you've achieved. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you said there was really powerful for me personally. You said that really the goal should be sustainability mm. because, you know, going all out for two years, three years, or however long it takes you until you burn out is not how you bring the best to yourself, to your family, to your personal life, and also not how you bring the best to your supervising physician mm. and to your patients. Yep. Because yeah. no one can do that long term. A question that I run into frequently that I have my own personal opinion on, but um, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. So I, um, you know, I post a lot on LinkedIn and and I interact with people. And the reason I do that, I, I like to to show up in an authentic way that that shows all the ugly sides of me. And when I do that, I find what what happens is I end up getting DMs from people and they say, oh, my gosh. Right. You know, you posted this thing about how you felt and I feel that, too. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I think I'm burning out, but I've only been practicing for a year or I've only been practicing for 18 months or I only work, you know, part time in this environment. Um, and personally, when I hear that, you know, I hear the stories and like you define burnout when we started. It it meets the clinical definition. Mm-hmm. It meets the colloquial definition. But I would love to hear from you, you know, as someone who's working with so many individuals who are experiencing this, 
What do you have to say to the people who are feeling burnout, but feel like they haven't earned it yet, right? They haven't had enough time on the battlefield to feel that way. Yeah. So would we say that about someone who came into the ER with a fractured femur, right? So like six patients roll in, they all have a trauma and they all have a broken bone. One fell off a building, one fell out of a tree, one jumped down out of a big truck, one took a step off of a curb, one was just sitting there and their femur broke, right? So like all these people have various levels of trauma, but in the end they have the same illness, right? So like fractured femur. What's a treatment for a fractured femur? It doesn't actually matter how you got that bone broken. I honestly don't even know how you fix femurs. So this is probably a bad example for me to use. <laughs> I mean, like I know like surgery, right? Like sudden yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like when when you have a medical condition, it's not qualified by how you got it, right? So like a yeah. fracture is a fracture and burnout is burnout. It doesn't matter if you only or just. So those two words piss me off more than anything else, right? So like, oh, I'm just a PA. I just work part-time. I just started. I've only been doing this 18 months. Like in saying that, you are automatically discounting what you've done, what you're doing, what you've been exposed to. So like we are not all physiologically the same. Our bones are not the same strength. Our coping mechanisms are not the same. So like when I think of burnout, and this is like how other people define it also, It's being exposed to stress again and again without having the proper coping mechanisms. So you and I could have very different levels at which will tip us over. And it's not just at work, right? It's like I've only been working part time for 18 months, but I had two babies and my mom has cancer, right? So like we're always discounting how much we're doing. And the diagnosis is the diagnosis. Like, and like, whether you meet criteria or you're just saying to yourself, like, gosh, I can't keep going like this. Like, did I choose the wrong career? How is everyone else like seemingly okay? And I'm the only one that's struggling. Like, you're not alone. And in saying like, oh, do I deserve this? Have I earned it? Have I done enough? Like, how is it that I'm burned (laughs) out? In 18 months when it took this other person in my ER 18 years to burn out, like it doesn't matter. Like all those femurs are fractured, period. Like all of the people can be burned out and can have had very different experiences and circumstances leading to their burnout. It doesn't make them any less burned out. Like the person who stepped off the curb has as broken a femur as the guy who fell off the building, period. Sure. And it's funny that, you know, that this is the example you use because how clear is that? But I never thought of it that way. You tell this story and you talk about your daughter. It was seeing her response to you mm-hmm. that triggered this realization. And for me, I feel like it was similar. I remember going visit my best friend and we're having coffee and she's like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> on? Are you are you angry with me? Is there something like happening? And and I, I had just come off ship the day before and I said, no, everything's fine. And she was like, we, you know, you don't seem fine. Like she wasn't willing to let it go. Right. So mm-hmm. we had to have this conversation. And I said, well, you know, when I come off ships, most of the time I just feel, I just feel dead inside. Right. And there was no emotion behind my statement. There was no excitement or sadness or anything. I was just empty inside. And to me, and I think it's that whole piece of like looking around, like looking left, looking right. How's everybody else doing? Right. And I knew that I felt 
empty and blank and just sort of like my body was doing the things that it was supposed to do, but emotionally I was unable to connect in any way. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, when I looked left and right, everyone else was doing this too. And so I just thought, well, this is just normal. And she looked at me and she said, this, this is not, this is not okay. Like this Mm -hmm. is not a normal way to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And it really took, you know, it took that reflection, I guess, of, of a friend that I knew wasn't picking on me to really get there. Just like you knew your toddler wasn't trying to be mean. Yeah. So, you know, that has really come full circle. And I think that, you know, the people in our lives, our kids, our spouses, our friends, like they often reflect things back to us that we are the last ones to notice or like Mm -hmm. the, you know, have trouble admitting, like often we know and they say like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. And then they're like, but really though? And you're like, no, I'm terrible. I'm dying inside. Right. Like it's like not great. I don't feel good about what we're doing, but also we've committed, right. I've worked so hard to get here. I spent so much time and money on school. So it's interesting. I had this experience um, just a few weeks ago where one of the teachers at daycare pulled me aside and said like, so um, I'm not sure if you know this, but like your kid said a thing and I feel like I should tell you about it. And immediately my heart drops like, of course, they're they're cursing, right? Like what? Are, yeah, yeah, terrible. You know, they're just like the worst children over. And I'm like, oh, damn, what are they going to say? Um, because clearly I curse a little. Um, so yeah. she says someone asked, like, what does your mom do for work? And she said, my daughter, who's now four, said, my mom's a unicorn PA, which is something that I talk about a lot in my teaching. And like people said, I found a unicorn job. Like I want PAs to feel like their life is this unicorn life. I want them to have a job that they love, time to spare, like money to leave that job if things go sideways, just joy in existence inside and outside of work. And my daughter has heard me talking about like, you know, recording a podcast episode, talking about being a unicorn PA. And it's just crazy to think like two years ago, that daughter, three years ago, she, you know, she didn't see me as someone who had joy and loved what I do. Like she saw me as someone who was suffering at the hands of a healthcare system and also was translating that suffering into my relationships with my husband and my kids. Like, it's not just you. So if you're like one of these people who's like, well, I feel guilty for being burned out. And like, I don't really want that to be me. And I've never failed at anything before. I'm just going to sort of like grin and bear it, suck it up and do another 30 years in this position that is like soul tracking, which sounds like a terrible proposition, right? Like, that's not a great idea. Like, it's not just affecting you. It's affecting your colleagues. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting the way that you show up in the world. When you feel burned out, you don't connect with others well. And there's actually some studies that show if you're burned out, you can have a moment. Like, you can have time with friends. You can go out for coffee with that friend. You can experience these positive emotions. But when you're burned out, those positive emotions don't actually improve your life. So you can make time for joy and rest and feel hopeful. And then if you're so burned out, it's like you're just past the point of that helping. And then you just go back to work again. And you still feel that sort of gaping hole that you don't feel purposeful or passionate about your life or your job. It's just life is too short to feel like that. Right. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's actually how I found you. I had come across your podcast 
Mm-hmm. And in your promoting of that episode, you had said something like, do you ever feel like you have the weekend off and you have these lovely plans and you want to go out for coffee and you want to go for a walk and you're excited to go to the gym, but you really just don't have the energy to do, you know, all of all or any of these things and you rest and you sleep and you take a bath and you try to go through the motions and then you get to Monday and you don't feel any more rejuvenated, right? Like you're not like, oh yeah, ready to take on the world. And, um, and you know, the, the time that I had come across that podcast was in this moment when I was just like, gosh, I'm just going through the motions and dead inside. So I'd love to hear a couple of things, but I'm trying to keep it organized. So I'd love to know For that new grad, for Mm. that person who's been practicing for 28 years, whoever it is, whatever your specialty is, like, what are those red flag signs and symptoms? And the ED we talk about, this is the triad, and I've recognized it, and I don't remember what it means sometimes, all the time, right? But I know that I'm paying attention. So what would you say are the key things for someone to keep in mind that say maybe you're having symptoms of burnout? So if you have an opportunity to recharge and rejuvenate, and again, you feel afterwards like the same, that's a big red flag. If you get to work and you park in the parking lot and you sit in your car and you're like, don't make me go in, right? Like if it's hard to like get yourself to like open the door and you're just like sitting in there dreading what's going to happen, like thinking about how terrible it's going to be, reliving past shifts that have been terrible, like just like, oh, these people, the patients, the charting, I just can't, I don't want to. If you get home from work and feel like you have this like work hangover where you don't, you haven't been decompressing and you go kind of straight from work into your life and the person that you are in your life outside of work is not who you want to be. When I was burned out, I was talking to my husband and kids in a way that I would have been embarrassed to observe, right? Had I seen myself from the outside looking in, I would have been like, oh, like, first of all, I never would have said that to anyone at work. Second of all, like, why are you treating the people in your life that way? Um, If you are saying or thinking things like, I can't keep going like this, or like, this is so crazy, like, how am I supposed to do this? You may be burned out. And I'm sure we'll talk about resources in a bit, but I think it's hard when you're burned out to see the forest for the trees. It's hard to realize that it's burnout. It's not just a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, like that you are actually burned out. And burnout, you know, decreases your ability to get the positive benefits of those positive, you know, self-care. Like a bubble bath will not fix burnout. Like should you take one? If you want to, great. But like a bath (laughs) is not the solution to like systemic burnout caused by overwhelming stress and moral injury and like a healthcare system that is not set up for patients or provider wellness. Like the bath is the band-aid, right? We need to fix the system, which I absolutely think is true. Um, But I actually developed a resource. um, So it's called the Burnout Risk Assessment. So we'll Mm -hmm. link it in the show notes, but tracybingaman.com slash burnout dash quiz. Super quick, because I know you don't have a lot of time. You just answer a few questions and it tells you, are you at low, moderate, or high risk of burnout? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes you're like, am I? I don't know. Sometimes I feel okay. Like sometimes I'm smiling. Sometimes I feel empty. So, you know, it sort of helps you to to evaluate like your objective risk of burnout and how burned out you are. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll absolutely include that in the show notes so that people can just grab the link to that. 
So you talked about a little bit about, you know, it's not a bad day, it's burnout. What about maybe I'm noticing some of these signs or symptoms? I'm realizing, okay, maybe this is more than just a bad day. I need to get some help. How do I go about sorting out, you know, is this a medical problem that I need evaluated or is this something that could be better approached with different things? Yeah. So I think as providers, we're very inclined to say, like, I know I'm fine. Like we run like a CBC in our mind about ourselves and just <laughs> declare ourselves like, OK, um, no one should be their own provider. So like you should mm-hmm. see yours and say, you know, I'm exhausted. Well, maybe you're anemic, right? Like maybe there's yeah. like an actual yeah. reason for that exhaustion. So like schedule and keep a promise to yourself that you're going to go to your primary care provider and get a workup and get a physical and just, you know, say like, hey, I'm not feeling myself. Can we make sure it's not something physiologic? And then the next step is, can you sort of untangle and figure out what the source of your burnout is? So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's parental, sometimes it's stresses in your life, sometimes you're too responsible for too many things outside of work, sometimes it's work-related. And once Mm -hmm. you can identify the cause, then you can start to build boundaries. So we're terrible at boundaries. We're charting Mm -hmm. at home, we're always available, we're, you know, constantly worrying about work. If you can figure out what the source of your burnout is, you can build boundaries to keep that thing out of your life and you in the center of your life. So a lot of us are sort of existing on the periphery of our lives and work and other people's priorities are the thing Mm -hmm. that we center our lives around. So kind of figuring out what the source of that burnout is um, Mm -hmm. is super important. The second thing that I would say when it comes to managing like early burnout or just like helping to cope, like no one works in healthcare and doesn't encounter hard, stressful situations. So do you have a way to physically get over the stress of your Mm -hmm. shift? So we sometimes are like, I tell myself it's okay. And then I just keep going. Like, Bodies don't speak English, right? So we need to do something that tells our body like it's safe, whether it's like we just ran a code, we just had something stressful. And in the middle of a shift, we take some deep breaths and we like tense our muscles and release to tell our body that it's safe or we exercise Mm -hmm. or we meditate or we do things to tell our body like it's safe to relax. It's safe to sleep because if our stress level is up here and we don't bring it down, we can't benefit from rest. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So it was refreshing to hear you say some of this, right? Because this is certainly, I think, one of the hardest things that I struggle with as an emergency medicine Mm -hmm. PA is, you know, you run that code in the middle of your shift and it doesn't matter who it is, what it is, what the situation is. It's a very, you know, it's a very stressful, very emotional, very human moment. Yep. And finding a way to process that in the midst of everything that we that we have going yeah. on. Is, is it's how. interesting because in medicine, we deal with that by depersonalizing ourselves, by saying, yeah. like, it's not it's not Grandma Betty. It's the 78 year old woman in room six. Right. So we depersonalize. Huh? We distance ourselves emotionally from the patient, which is actually a symptom of burnout. So we're coping with stress in a way that's burning us out because we are like sort of propagating that symptom by doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what the answers are, right? But there's a balance, right? I need to be clear headed when Mm -hmm. I'm in that code room and not emotional. But at the same time, I want to be able to walk out and feel the humanity Mm -hmm. of whatever's just happened. So, yeah. So if 
let's say I noticed some of these red flags. I went to my doctor. My doctor said, nope, I think everything's going well physically. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think you're clinically depressed. I don't think we need to do anything there. But you've got some stuff to work on. I would suggest you reach out and, you know, to someone who could help. So I see the button that says I can contact you. I've never pushed that button. What would happen if I did? What do your consults look like? How do you help people? Yeah. So really, there's two main ways that I help people sort of navigate this. One is like a one-touch thing where we're trying to decide, do I stay or do I go? Trying to choose between jobs, trying to negotiate to get the best possible schedule and compensation package. Okay. That's a negotiation consult. So we meet for one hour. We sort of rapid fire go through the situation. What are you looking for? And I help guide you to make a decision that feels aligned with what's the next step in your life and in your career. The second is a little bit deeper and a longer relationship. So I do one-on-one coaching. Typically those relationships, I work with clients anywhere between three to six months where we meet for a consult. We sort of make sure we're a good fit. We pick a time every week that we meet and then we diagnose the source of your burnout. It's like, why did this happen? What was, you know, work related? And are there things that we can change there? What was personal boundaries or lack thereof? And what Mm -hmm. can we do to change that? And really to chart a course and we develop a strategic plan, just like you would for treating a patient with a diagnosis, right? So like the diagnosis is burnout. What's the underlying cause? How do we change that in the future? Because I don't want PAs to get in, burn out, and get out, right? The goal is like identify that I'm burned out, figure out a way that's sustainable in a different environment, in the same environment, whatever that looks like for you, where you don't need me anymore, where you have the tools to, you know, get rid of your stress, to deal with things, to build boundaries, to have hard conversations so that you can have a sustainable career in medicine that you're passionate about, that you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose, but that's not your only reason for existing on this earth. Do you do any lectures for PA schools, anything like that? Yeah. So my goal this year at the time of this recording is to speak to a thousand PA students, which is about 10% of the PAs that will be graduating in this year. Um, I would love for them to know burnout exists. Like here are the warning signs. Like here's my cautionary tale. Um, Here's how to look for a job that's probably less likely to burn you out and still can be inpatient high acuity. But, you know, you sort of go in eyes wide open, like preparing to avoid burnout, preparing to have a career Mm -hmm. that's sustainable in a, you know, in a specialty that is exciting for you. So if you are a preceptor for a program and you think your students would benefit from that, if you work in academia, I would love the opportunity to speak to your students about first-time job hunting, about burnout and warning signs. I didn't even know burnout was a thing. I thought you got out and you worked clinically and then one day you retired. I didn't know it was a thing, so I wasn't trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, it's an interesting dynamic, right? And both of those and they're separate, but obviously they're also related, but you graduate and then, and people just don't really know what to do, right? Like a lot of these young women and men are really coming into their own for the first time. For me, it was not my first career. So I felt a lot more comfortable with how to go into a salary negotiation, what questions to ask and things to talk about, even though I hadn't worked specifically in the hospital before. But a lot of people really just don't have that and they're not even sure, you know, where to start or what they should be asking for. They're just happy that somebody's going to pay them money to do something that they love. Yep. 
as we're wrapping up, what do you want people to remember or what is something that they can do? So the one thing that you can do is be more observant, tune into your mind and your body. So when I was burning out, my body was like, hey, I think you should slow down. Hey, I'm going to give you this little illness. Okay, I'm going to give you a bigger illness. And then it was like, hey, we really need some rest here. So I had pneumonia for the first and so far only time in my life. I developed Mm. um, autoimmune hyperthyroidism. I had an episode of sustained sinus tachycardia where my heart rate was anywhere between 150 and 200 at rest. Um, I, and like my body was eventually like, Hey, 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 Hey. And I was like, so busy. I was just like, I can't, I can't worry about my own health. Yeah. I have 20 patients that I have to take care of. I'm not listening to my own body. Like this can yeah. wait. Like I was running around the hospital all day, making sure all the patients could pee, like catheters, like yeah. difficult cystostent, you know, scopes, all these things. And I wouldn't have gone to the bathroom. Right. So I was yeah. prioritizing everyone else's health and wellness above my own. So if nothing else, I want you to take time to tune into how am I feeling? How am I doing? How is my body feeling physically? How am I doing mentally and emotionally? Because that will help you to change course sooner. That will help you to implement strategies for wellness sooner. Because if you don't know what's happening, you can't fix it. So tuning into your body is the single thing that I wish that I had done sooner when I was burning out. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I expect that people are going to love hearing this. People are going through this. They're in the midst of it. So when this resonates with them and they say, I really want to check out Tracy's podcast. I really want to know what what help there is in the world. Where can they reach you? Where can they find you? Yeah, so I like to hang out on both LinkedIn and Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at Mrs. Tracy Bingaman. On LinkedIn, just search my name, Tracy Bingaman. Uh, The blog, if you go to tracybingaman.com slash blog, is all of our archived podcast episodes. We have over 200 episodes of resources. Um, The podcast is called The PA Is In. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts where I give advice, but also I interview thought leaders and other PAs who have either burned out or avoided burnout, recovered from burnout and find a way to do this thing, clinical medicine or otherwise as a PA, that is a long-term sustainable solution. So if you're burned out right now, there is a way to tailor that down so that you have a, you know, a level of burnout, a level of stress in your life where you can function. Um, you are not alone. And there's a whole library of people telling you, like, <laughs> I've been there. Like, here's how yeah. I figured it out. Like, here's what I changed. Here's how I figured out a way to thrive. And sometimes it takes a couple of tries to find like the place that works for you during this season of life. So I'd love if you guys would follow. Let me know where you heard about me um, and check out those podcast episodes because there are some really, really great resources there. Awesome. Thank you, Tracy. Like I said, I found her because of her podcast. So, you know, definitely take a listen if you're working in healthcare. I guarantee you there is something there that will resonate with you and and make you feel less alone in this this crazy endeavor. So thank you, Tracy, for coming with us today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that is it for today's episode of Scrubs and Squats. I hope you enjoyed. And if you did, please like, review, and subscribe, and we will see you next week.